Hi, my name is Susan. I've been arrested 32 times just for listening to people talk with each other. The problem was I used to hide in the bushes outside the windows of people's homes to enjoy listening to strangers talk to each other. It's just something I like to do. I get bored and lonely sometimes, you know. Hey, Susan, don't do all that. There's another way to enjoy random conversations? Now, thanks to the podcast show, I can enjoy listening to conversations with strangers and learn something new every week. No more listening outside the window just to enjoy a good conversation. Tune in weekly on Wednesdays and subscribe for updates on your favorite platform to the Toddcast show and help our podcast family continue to grow and share around the world. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Toddcast show. My name is Todd Mira, your host, and I'm so excited to be here with all of you. The Toddcast show is dedicated to exploring the human condition through conversation with strangers. We explore the positive, interesting, and oftentimes shocking side of human nature. In each episode of the Toddcast show, I talk with strangers in a down-to-earth, old-school, and heartfelt way about their life. Nothing is ever scripted, everything is spontaneous, positive, and we never discuss politics. You won't know what to expect next. Join in the conversation to laugh, love, learn, and grow with others around the planet. Who will I call next? Tune in to find out every Wednesday at midnight Pacific or for playback anytime on your favorite podcast listening platform. And stay connected with us at ToddCastShow.com. Hello, and thank you for joining us for another episode of the Toddcast Show. Today, we are joined by someone special named Deborah. How you doing, Deborah? I'm doing great, Todd. Right on. And where are you calling from today? I am calling from Long Island, New York. Long Island. Wow. What's it like there today? New York is uh, a wild place. Uh, well, Long Island is, you know, I, I live in sort of the, the sleepier parts of Long Island. It's um, cool. It's actually been beautiful the last few days. We're waiting for the storm for Ian to, you know, start to affect us a little bit. So it's supposed to be mm. cloudy and rainy for the next few days, but... Um, the last couple of days, it's been absolutely beautiful. High 60s, nice breeze, crisp, clear, dry air. My favorite time of year. That is awesome. What's the best place for pizza in town? Oh, there's a few. Um, <laughs> there's Ramos. There's Mario's. Um, there's a bunch of them. I and mean, there's no place, to, you know, there's no place like New York to get good pizza. That's what I heard. Chicago and New York, do they even compare, or do you think that they're in separate different, Completely different. Chicago is the deep dish pizza, they call it. Yeah. And, um, so they, um, they, some, some place, a lot of the New York pizza places will make a deep dish pizza, but it's not authentic New York pizza. It's really Chicago pizza. Right on. Oh, that's stuff. cool. You do have Good. that, you, you have that, you have that New York twang. I mean, I probably would have figured it out sooner or later. You have that, uh, Special New York accent? Are you from the area, or did you relocate to that area? I grew up here. Um, I was born in the city and grew up on Long Island. And then when I was 16, we moved to San Antonio, Texas, and I lived in Texas for about 10 <laughs> years. And 
I kind of, I developed a little bit of a twang down there. And That's when I'm, funny. When I'm down there, if I talk to people from there, I it like it slips <laughs> back into my voice. Yeah, um, I understand I that. <laughs> that is funny. San Antonio, wow, what a trip, man, from New York. Yeah, well, I, I only lived there for a couple of months, and then I went to college in Austin, um, which oh. was great. Uh, Austin, Texas is amazing. Awesome. Yeah, Austin's the that city was in, of... Uh, Late 70s, so it was very different back then. Oh, wow. Jeez, in the 70s. Yeah, it was different. What was Austin like back then? I mean, just oh, reflecting. It was, a, <laughs> it, it was, you know, it was a great combination of, you know, the the intelligentsia, because it was the university and the capital was there. It was very progressive um, in terms of just being tolerant of everyone and, you know, it was just, it was just a really cool place to go to school. It was really laid back. Um, and I think it's just gotten a little bit more commercialized now because when I was yeah. there, it was 400,000 people for the whole city. So now I think it's it's probably at least over a million. Wow. Yeah, things change, man. People, uh, one thing humans are good at is reproducing. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus Christ. Yeah, it's like, holy crap, the population just gets big and big and big and big. And I wonder if it'll ever stop. It just keeps going. That's crazy. Yeah, well, that's when nature steps in and starts killing us off. I guess so. Yeah, Mother Nature, you don't ask questions and don't talk back. <laughs> <laughs> so in, when you were in Austin in college, would you consider yourself to be an activist? No. Not at all? Uh, no, I, I think I was just trying to get by, you know, um, mm-hmm. in a lot of ways. So I felt like a very very much like a misplaced New Yorker. Um uh-huh. I remember, so I started college at 16. I graduated a year early because we were moving. I wanted to do high school in some, you know, different state. So, um, so here I was on the dorm at the University of Texas and I had this very thick New York, Long Island accent. Mm-hmm. And, um, one of my, one of the dorm mates down the hall, uh, I'll never forget her. Her name was Elsie Grave <laughs> and she would come in. And she would just stare at me because she couldn't understand the word I was saying. <laughs> I couldn't understand her either. <laughs> but you know, it was interesting. So I was, I was, um, I was a New Yorker. I was 16, and I was Jewish. And that was like three things that were really unusual at that time. Elsie was when she found out I was Jewish. She was literally looking for the horns on my head. So. Um, <laughs> You talk about, you know, um, what that does to a, a 16-year-old insecure person. Like, where the hell am I? Like, what happened? I know. I'd want to <laughs> meet your dad for a record contract. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's the first thing I think of. But that's funny. Wow. So your faith actually made you feel separate from people? Or, like, uh, I would imagine... It, there's a large Not Jewish population. Yeah, I was going to say there's a large yeah, Jewish population. Never in New York, but yeah, but in uh, when I got to Austin, Texas. Texas, yeah, yeah. you're all by yourself. Mm. Yeah. Did you but feel that you were? I got me, it chased me into the Hillel. Ah, uh, <laughs> I, I see. My own people. I need my own people. <laughs> yeah, totally. Did you feel discriminated against? Um, socially, in some ways, I I, I felt like I didn't fit in, and I felt oh. like. I don't know if that was me or the fact that people 
that I got. I don't know if it was on the part of the people I was with or it was just something I did in myself at that part, at that period of time. That's crazy. Um, I mean, this is going to sound completely silly and ignorant and uh, hopefully funny, but uh, how do you tell a Jewish woman? Like, usually with a Jewish man, you know, they've got the long curly hair and the black suit. Well, most, most, you know, most of the Jewish men in this country don't even do that. Um, I know, I know, exactly. I don't know. How did they how did they do that in in Nazi Germany? I mean, my my uh, mother's my mom. I'm first generation American. My mother came here when she was five. My grandfather uh, took his family and left about seven months before the Nazi occupation. He was in Poland, mm-hmm. and so I come from a history of you know when I was when I was growing up in New York, my father would say, "Never drive through the Deep South." They'll, they'll, you know, they'll put you away, and you'll, nobody will ever find you again. I mean, it was this whole fear mentality. Wow. That, you know, um, is uh, you know the kids kids today don't really have that in them, which is a good thing. It's also a bad thing because yeah. when things happen, um, that you know sort of remind us of those times and and the way the culture is going. You know, it should be like, you know, I, I feel like my grandfather would be turning over in his grave. He'd be saying, get the hell out of the United States. Just leave. Like, do what I did because it's not going to be safe for long. That is really amazing. There's, there's a memory there, you know, that mm-hmm. most, you know, the, that, you know, I'm going to be, God willing, I'll be 62 years old in a few few months. And um, people don't remember it, you know. So what doesn't what's not remembered tends to be repeated. Very interesting. And uh, history is, you know, understanding those things to avoid them, you know. And if you have an idea of what happened in history, you can at least look for the signs, you know, for right. it yeah. to come back around. Do you think that those early experiences shaped a lot of your personal beliefs? Like, uh, how did that influence who you became as a person when, you know, you're a different person pursuing your own individual beliefs? Like, how does that feel and work in terms of developing your your uh, core beliefs system, if you will? So, you know, I never really thought about that. So <laughs> I know you wanted to catch me off guard, so you did. Um, um, I I think that what it did when to, from the ages of 16 to 20, that's when I was in college, and that's still a pretty formative span mm-hmm. of time mm-hmm. in a in a kid, in a person's life. And so um, I think it did, it sort of set me, sent me to people who were, you know, much more progressive and tolerant. Like I didn't, I didn't stay with the people who were in that sort of, what I, I almost see as like a mindless loop because I see it more and more now mm-hmm. of just going along with the crowd. And, you know, I couldn't go along with that crowd. So I had to find my own specific crowd, which was a much smaller crowd. And, you know, and I, I used to think about all the things I wanted to do in my life and, you know, I, I used to think of it as I, I, I need to do something really great and be important. And then I, after a while, I said, you know, I think I was just trying to justify my existence. Uh-huh. <laughs> and now, after, you know, after 33 years practicing medicine, I'm, you know, I'm kind of back to, you know, medicine has just become this thing where I'm just going along with the crowd and I'm not enjoying it. And it's not a good crowd anymore. Not the mm. doctors, but the, the healthcare system. Mm. And, you know, back to I want to do something more. So um, it may it may be that may have been instrumental. I um, I don't know. I'm one of these people that just I was born with faith. I don't think you can. It's like falling in love. You can't make yourself fall in love. I don't think you can make yourself have faith. Mm-hmm. 
you either have it or you don't. Sometimes you don't have it, and then all of a sudden it happens, um, kind of like love. Um, but yeah. I, I, I don't think that it's it hasn't changed because I remember as a as a little kid, you know, just playing in my yard, just being very in touch with the the earth and the soil and the trees and um, and just feeling very connected to the energy of the planet, which mm-hmm. I saw as a spiritual. Um, part of the spiritual aspect of God. So, mm-hmm. and how did your influence? I don't really talk about God on podcasts. <laughs> oh, we got you. <laughs> we got you. Uh, that's good though. Whatever works for you is fine for me. Um, that's fine. Uh, so, your parents uh, were your parents whole like throughout your life, or did they separate? Were they together? Are they still together? Are they alive? Well, they're both uh, they're both yeah, they're both gone. Um, okay, so I'm sorry. My brother, my, my brother died 22 years ago. Um, uh-huh. My father died 20. I want to say like 25 years ago, and my mother 12 or 13 years ago. Wow, so, I'm so sorry. Um, can I ask, uh, if you don't mind touching the subject, um, how do you feel that they influenced your beliefs and your spiritual life? Like, were they Jewish as well, or? Were you kind of an anomaly, or how did that work in terms of you developing your faith? So that's interesting. So both my parents were brought up very strict Orthodox Jewish. They both, independently of each other, rebelled for very different reasons. And so I was raised very Reformed. Like I, there was not much Judaism in the house, especially after my grandfather died. So my grandfather kind of kept that together. Mm-hmm. Um, and when I was 10 years old, my grandfather died, and then it was... You know, the conversations, you didn't really want to go to Hebrew school, did you? And they took me out of Hebrew school, and so I never got to have a bat mitzvah. And my brother got his bat mitzvah, because boys do. Girls, you know, it wasn't that important. And I think that did influence me a lot, because I felt like I missed out. So when I was in college, here I was in the University of Texas at Austin, and, in the, you know, and... um and I, I took a bunch of courses in Hebrew. I <laughs> had a very big um, Middle Eastern studies department, and I was just six credits away from a major in Hebrew. So it kind of chased me towards it. Um, I went to Israel. I've been to Israel three times. Um, and it's, um, it's, you know, I made sure that my son, you know, went through and had his bar mitzvah and been a member of, I was, I was on the board of my synagogue for nine years. And, um, yeah, so it did. I mean, you know, again, it's, I don't usually, and I'm not like out there with my Judaism most of the time. So it's a weird conversation, but good, um, good. I'm just, um, <laughs> it's very much a part of my life, but you know, I come from the standpoint of like, I want people to let me be me. And so I want to let you be you. And I think it's much yeah. more interesting for us to explore the differences the cultural differences, you know, what kind of songs do you like, what kind of food do you like, can't we yeah. share, you know, I'm just, I don't, you know, and, and when people try to, you know, sort of paint the world one color, it makes me nervous because it's almost like a genetic anxiety. Yeah, I, I understand that. Yeah, danger zone, totally agree. Um, when you grew up, did you have a lot of different friends? Were you kind of a loner? Like, did you have a wide social circle as a child? I did um, until my grandfather died. And then, you know, my mother said I became a much more sad, morose person. Um, I had fewer friends. I felt like I I didn't uh, – I would spend time in one group of people, and then after a while it would be like, you know, I, I don't really belong here. They're good people, but I don't belong with them, and I'd wander off and find another group. So um, 
But I, I do. I have been extraordinarily blessed with several really good friends that I've had for decades, right. and I trust them. And um, I, you know, I I personally think that it would be really difficult for me to have 15 good friends. I, I don't know how people do that. How you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like I can't. It's not that special when there's 15 of you to me. Mm-hmm. So. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah, I, mean, I feel I that. Friends, you know, I mm-hmm. think I was a friendly person. I think I was a good friend, and I am a good friend, and mm-hmm. I have some good friends. Right on. What do you think uh, gets in the way of friendship? Uh, you know, being really long, because I'm like you. You know, I, um, you know, I believe in having a very small circle of people that you can trust, as opposed to a wide circle of people and you just don't know. Um, and it's hard to keep track of all that and blah blah. But um, you know, how do you, uh, you know, how do you decide who stays and who goes? <laughs> I guess it's probably. I think life, life decides that sometimes. I think that there's times when, um, when we go through certain things in our lives and, and people appear and they're there for a reason. We're mutually there to help each other, but it, it may not be a friendship that's meant to last for decades, but mm-hmm. let's say for two years you get really close with someone and maybe, you're each helping each other through something important. And then, you know, you may just drift apart afterwards. And I don't think that's a terrible thing. I mean, it doesn't have to be enemies after that. Um, no. But some people, I think, are not meant to be in your life like that for long periods. We, you know, we each have our own different goals and dreams, and, and we go in different directions. And, and that's okay. I mean, we should be able to celebrate that and be happy for them. And, you know, maybe so some other time we'll come back together. But I, yeah. I think it's really unusual to think that there's going to be 15 people on the same path for that long, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, usually mm-hmm. the smaller groups that are like that. Unless they're all, like, tax accountants or something, right? <laughs> yeah, but, you know, even tax accountants have another identity, too. And yeah, they do. The whole thing in medicine is, like, they, they, they kind of drive us into this. All You're, you're a doctor. It's the only thing you can do if you don't want to, you know, hang in there and be part of the – American healthcare system, which is now a business for profit, um, there's nothing else you can do, so you better just hang in with us and, and let us, you know, use you any way that we can. And yeah. that's sort of the corporate message. And, and so I'm a coach also. Oh, really? And one of the things that I, I help people to, to look at is, what else are you? You know, you're a tax accountant. Great. And it's, and you've enjoyed it and you've met all these people and it's a big part of your identity and it's, you know, kept you paid mortgage or whatever. What else are you? Are you a brother? Are you a father? Are you a son? Are you a, an animal lover? Do you, are you a tree hugger? Do you, do you cook? Mm-hmm. Do you play music? Do you do podcasts? Mm-hmm. You know, there's like so many parts of you that should come to the fore that sort of round out your identity and make you so that if any one thing in your life starts to go sour, you're not devastated. You know, because if your identity is more than than just the, whatever you do for a living. Totally, yeah, that's for sure. Um, just a quick compare and contrast, just for fun. Do you think that uh, society was different, you know, in the seventies in terms of people being more tolerant of people's differences and all that? Because I think that's one of the keys that keeps people in conflict is that they don't focus on their similarities as much as they focus on, you know, some people might choose to focus on one difference instead of, like, ten similarities, which I think is ridiculous, personally. But, I mean, that's how it works, you know. So, like, over time, have you seen a change in your perspective in terms of how people, you know, feel comfortable accepting people who are different or have difference of opinions, beliefs, things like that? Do you think that's changed over the years? 
So I definitely think that my perception of it has changed, but, you know, with some of the things that have happened lately and the intolerance that I'm seeing and the, you know, I, it makes me wonder if those people weren't there all along, they were just quiet. It's like, I, I don't know if I'm just seeing more, I feel like it was more, we were more tolerant. Um, the 70s, the 80s, the 90s, I actually felt like we were sort of moving ahead and, and becoming a more enlightened species. And all of this stuff that's happened recently, is it, have we gone backwards? Were those people just not visible to me before? You know, now we have the internet and social media and everybody's got a voice. Everybody's got a megaphone, not right. just a voice. So, like, you know, maybe those people were always there, but I didn't see them. So, you know, my, my world was more pleasant because the places that I hung out intellectually and physically um, and emotionally, people were more tolerant. And it was, you know, and if you weren't tolerant, it, was, it wasn't, you know, it really wasn't accepted to be intolerant. It was like, come on, you know, what's the big deal? But now it's, you know, and maybe because we've gone so far to accepting so many things that are different. That, the, that there are people that are, you know, just like pushing back against everything that's different as opposed to just a few things. One, one of the things that really disturbs me is that mm-hmm. we've gotten to a place where we only see black or white. Mm-hmm. There's, you're, you're either all the way on one side or you're all the way on the other side. Of, and most of life, I think, is in the middle. Most mm-hmm. of life is gray. And, mm-hmm. and when we get, I think that people don't step into the gray. Like in the gray areas, we can meet and mingle and we can appreciate each other and we're not threatened by each other. But I think that people who stay on one side or the other, um, I think they're scared. I think that's, you know, because I try to consider that I think most people are doing the best they can with what they've got. They really, I don't think that, you know, stupid people, as you wrote in your blog, or evil people, I don't think they mean to be evil. or so They, they don't know better. They don't know how to be better. Mm-hmm. So, and, and I think that it's hard to consider the other side when you're afraid of it. Mm. And I think that, you know, fear is one of the great motivators in every culture. And, and so we have, we have these, this, this sense of, okay, so look at our society. We are completely attention deficient, right? <laughs> Everyone's ADD. The entire culture is ADD. You can't, you know, you, you, you get something in the, in your email or on the news or whatever, and it's a bite. And that's it. And why is it a bite? Because it's all that the average person will spend the time listening to or looking at. So we're not getting whole stories. We're not, um, we're expected to be, or we feel like it's expected of us to keep up with everything that's going on. There's just too much. It's overwhelming. And so what do people do? They latch on to something. And many times they latch on to that particular thing because their friends have grabbed it or their family grabbed it. Or, you know, they feel like, you know, someone in their school thought that was a good thing. And, and they don't have the energy or the time to go through and evaluate every single issue. So they just say, okay, um, my best friend thinks this is good. I think it's good too. Right. And then, I, and then the next person comes around, well, you know, Todd and Jerry say this is good. Well, I, I'm going to jump on that too. And after a while, you get people entrenched in their positions, but they haven't thought about them. And they haven't even realized that they haven't thought about them. And, and it's not, it doesn't make for communication. It doesn't, it doesn't create tolerance. It doesn't create community. It creates hostility. Isn't that a form of ignorance? So it is a form of ignorance, but it, it doesn't, it doesn't mean that 
it's ignorance because they're incapable of understanding. It can mean that they're, it's ignorance because they're overwhelmed. And, and if, if you don't know that you don't know something, you don't seek it out to learn. Right, right. Very good point, actually. Very good point. Have you ever heard of something called the Landmark Forum? Mm, some vaguely familiar, but I don't know. <laughs> Est? 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 Okay. So Est evolved into the Landmark Forum, and I did the Landmark Forum like 25 years ago or whatever. It was uh-huh. a long time back. And it's great because it was actually uh, a really cool foyer into the world of integrity and the importance of it and all that. And um, one of the great lessons in that three-day adventure was there's things that you know that you know. There's things that you know that you don't know, like astrophysics. And then there's things mm-hmm. that you don't know that you don't know. And that's the one that kills everybody. And yep. when when you don't know you don't know something, it's like, you're right, you know, it's like it's an act of innocence in a way, but it's still the responsibility, I agree, of the person to collect the information for themselves and learn and stuff. And, you know, I couldn't agree more. People jump to one side or the other. It's really silly instead of seeking that middle ground, you know. Um, do you think that that's a form of extremism or is that just an outlet of emotional you know, insecurity or something like that? Like psychologically, what do you think? drives that type of behavior? Well, I think extremism is the extreme form of emotional insecurity. I mean, mm-hmm. I think it's, it's um, I, I think it is, it's what creates extremism. And in this country, and I think in Europe too, it sounds like there's, it's, we're going that way more and more. I think mm-hmm. it's just, it's, it's mentally easier to be extremist. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, you know, it's not necessarily physically easier because then you're, you know, all like, riled up about things and screaming and ranting and, you know, who knows what else you're doing if you're taking it to the level of violence. But mentally, it's easier to just be the extreme. You don't have to think about it. It's, mm-hmm. it's there. You don't have to think. It becomes the mob mentality. And there's, there's you know, can be more than one mob and they can be at odds with each other. Um, I do think that, you know, it's the responsibility of the population to educate themselves. And that's why we have schools, you know, and now we're burning books. So that's a whole other thing. But, um, you know, it, it's, we need to, we shouldn't be afraid to learn. We shouldn't be afraid of knowledge. We should, you know, we should approach the knowledge and not necessarily take it at face value, but we should look at it. We should evaluate it for ourselves. We, we all have brains. Most of us, I mean, some people don't have the intellectual capacity, and that's sad, and, and that's not their fault. Um, but most people have the capacity to think something through if they're in a calm, rational state and they don't feel like there'll be any dire consequences to them drawing any particular conclusion. If they're allowed to just think about it, discuss it, if it's, if you take the emotion out of it, you know, most people I think can, can figure stuff out, you know, and it's, and, and they can get to a point where they can you know, inter- you know, they, they can get along with each other, even if they don't agree. Because mm-hmm. if you are calm about it, if I don't agree with something that, you know, you believe, you know, as long as you're not going to burn my house down or kill my children, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, you know, if, if you can be calm about the fact that we don't agree and we don't have to force our opinions on someone else, what does it mean when we force our opinions? It means that we're not secure about them for ourselves. If I, I feel very comfortable being Jewish, I don't need to make you Jewish. Right. Do you know what I mean? Like, you can have your religion. Why do you want me to have your religion? 
you know, it's not necessary. It's I'm comfortable where I am. I want you to be comfortable where you are, and then we can share things and we can enjoy each other. And you know, I it's I think it really comes from fear, and and the fear keeps people from really like if you've lived your whole life believing something, and now all of a sudden you start thinking about it, and you're like, oh my god, I was wrong all these years. What does that do to you, to your identity? You know, one of the things that I, I do in my coaching is I and, and, and I talk to people about why they end up staying in a career that they don't like or in a position that they don't like, in a family that they're like, like in a marriage that doesn't work for them. Why, why do they do this? Because that's the way they grew up. That's what they believe is right for them. And when they if they if you take that away, you pull you, you pull the, the the pillars of their found, the foundation of their identity away. Like when you said you're a tax you're a, a tax uh, not a, not a tax attorney, but, but I work at TurboTax. Yeah, TurboTax. So like you know if I if I said to you okay you 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 no longer can do that job, would you feel like you lost a part of yourself? And many people would. Mm-hmm. And and the paradigms that we have, you know, they were implanted in us from the time we were just teeny tiny babies. From our parents, they meant well, you know, our parents didn't know that they were giving, you know, my, my, my tradition gave me this sort of, uh, almost a victim mentality, a fear, you know, like be careful. The world could turn on an instant and start, you know, and just start eliminating everybody, you know, who's like me. And it can just happen in a second. And look, it has happened. So I grew up with that. Do I live in fear every day? No. Um, when I hear certain things on the news, it, it, it's concerning. It's disturbing. Mm-hmm. So um, it's that you know when, when we when we find a way to change how we look at ourselves, and it's hard because you know it's just it's just been embedded in us through years and years. But that's when we can start to change what we do and who we are. So I've you know I've, I've finally I think come to peace with the fact that I don't really want to practice medicine in this atmosphere. Mm-hmm. And so even though I'm a doctor and I will always be a doctor. Um, I want to do something different. And so that's why I write. Um, and I'm trying to actually, it's still the, the impulse to heal because I want my books to heal, but I don't want to write things that are going to be like, Hey guys, you got to listen to this. Nobody wants to hear it. No. You, know, you know, nobody wants another cause or another march or donate to this. So I write, I write stories. I write fiction. That's my thing. Truth and fiction. And oh, I, yeah. and if somebody can get involved in the characters in my story and start to care about these fictional characters, the fictional character can't hurt you. Got nothing to do with you, right? <laughs> you have, you don't have to feel like you have anything in common with them. You might, but you don't. You know, it's just a story. If it bothers you, it's just a story. You can just, you know, it's, it's, it's harmless. But in some cases, I feel like the, some of the fictions that I've read, some of the books I've read, like have stayed with me. And, you know, and, and I, you think back on them and you, you start to think, you know, a certain situation comes up, reminds you of that. And, you know, then it, I feel like that's a way to make a difference. Am I going to change the world? No, I'm sure I won't. <laughs> but, you Maybe. know, I feel like I can, I can do something. You know, I want to do something. Well, the, the reality is that without people who have different strengths, we'll never be fully, you know, whole in a way, I think. And, like, I personally believe that people that have differences should be working together because they see things from different perspectives, you know, and like uh, some of my favorite relationships with women, you know, have not been with people who were bubbly and 
talkative like me, they're introverts and people who are different, you know, and like completely in a different world because we come together and share, right? And I think that, you know, you made a good point and it's important to think of it like, you know, knowledge is kind of, I mean, I'm just kind of thinking of this as we go along here, but like knowledge to me is kind of like putting together a puzzle, you know, and you put these pieces together and sooner or later you see the picture it's developing instead of what you're being told. And, you know, it's important to think for yourself, but it's also important to learn from others that, you know, come from different perspectives because they can see our blind spots and things, you know, that we might not even recognize sometimes, right? Yeah. And um, so it's like when, when I was on the board at my synagogue, it was, you know, every once in a while somebody would come on the board and I think, oh, you know, I'm never going to agree with this person. But, but you know, after a while, I started to realize that those are the people I really welcomed because they made me think about something from another point of view that I might never have considered. And they're important. You know, so it's it's not it's not enough to just say, you know, well, I, I, we should all just do it this way. This is how we've always done it, you know. Um, but to hear someone voice an opinion and be, you know, passionate about it, and it makes you, okay, I've got to consider that. And maybe I still don't agree with it, but I've got to say, okay, this person feels that way. There's probably other people who feel that way. How can we compromise? You know, how can we make this good for everybody? Because I really feel like life should be a win-win. Yeah. You know, I don't think it's necessary that for one side to win, the other has to lose. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. No, I couldn't agree more, actually. Um, and that's part of the problem, you know, and I heard it a couple of times in things that you were saying, but it seems like we live in a world today where divisiveness is on the menu and uh, keeping people separate somehow. And I, I really uh, think that's kind of weird and whatever, do you see the same thing uh, where people are kind of being pushed to be separated and, uh, you know, not unified, let's say, as a society? Well, yeah, and I think that, you know, people people have a need for community and connection, and and that's being mistaken for now a need to choose, you know, to, to choose a particular side and not be, um, yeah, I mean, it, it's almost like it's becoming – it's becoming in vogue to be extreme. Wow. Like if, if you're willing to listen to someone else, then what's wrong with you? You know, or you want to hurt people, you know, then, then you must not, you must be all the way on the other side. You know, it's, I, but, you know, so here's the thing. I feel like there are people like me and like you out there. There are people who are not necessarily on the extremes, but they're quiet. You know, they're, they're just because they're not, they're not, they're not the troublemakers. Um, they're, they're not going to go out there and start brandishing swords and say, you have to believe like I do. And, and it's, and the world is intimidating for people like that right now. But I feel like there's a large population of people who don't want to take sides, but we don't hear from them anymore. We just hear, and, and both sides, both extremes are very vocal. I'm I'm not calling out one side or the other. I'm just, you know, it's both, and it's, it's almost like, you know, each side will say it's in response to the other, but the truth is, is that, you know, you can't fight by yourself, so. That's right. And there's no reason why we can't fight together, because the common goal is unity and harmony and peace, and, I mean, we're not hippies here, okay, but, like, the idea really is to get along, and it's so simple. It's elementary. We've we've evolved past the stage of needing to fight over the animal that roams near the camp, you know, to cook and eat. Like it's 
so silly how people fight over the dumbest things, you know, in my opinion. Do you agree? Yeah, I mean, you know, for some of those people who don't have enough food to eat or whose house gets washed away in a in a hurricane and don't have flood insurance, I mean, you know, I mean, there, there are people in need, and um, and we should be able to help them. But you know, we say, you know, if you give if you give a man a fish, he won't be hungry. But if you teach the man to fish, he'll never starve. And yeah. so, what we what we should be doing is give him the fish so his head clears, and then teach him to fish. Yeah, and, totally. You know, helping each other out. I mean, I think that, you know, people need some sort of cause. I I think it's just part of human nature. And my third book, you know, is going to go into how can we, and I don't know the answer to any of these questions, but how can we evolve into more enlightened people? Mm -hmm. Because if we don't, we're going to become extinct from, you know, it's just the planet is one thing, and then just our own our own selves, the way we're, we're hurting each other so much. We're going to, we have to learn, but we have, we do have common cause. We have planet earth, you know, mother earth. We have, we have so, you know, we're decimating her. We're, we're, you know, we're not going to, people won't, don't want to believe it until it's too late, but you know, we, we should be bonded together to save the planet. Right. You know, if we need some sort of common commonality, I mean, look at the storms and the, the earthquakes and the volcanoes and, you know, I get pretty graphic in the third novel. <laughs> it's, um, it's a dystopian fiction and, and it's a group. It's the, it's the, the people from my second novel, which is the, you know, more of a political thriller. Um, and how, mm-hmm. how are they going to escape dying? And how is, but the larger question is how is the human race going to escape extinction? And I don't have the answers to that, but I really enjoy exploring it through characters who ask mm-hmm. these kinds of questions and mm-hmm. and then the characters talk to me and it's like, you know, I learn from my characters. I learn so much from the characters I create. I create the character and then that character is its own person. And and it, you know, it comes up with ideas and then another character may disagree and how does that go and what does it look like? Because I'm looking at it as a as a, you know, from as an outsider almost, but I'm inside it too. And it's, you know, just to kind of look at like, what can we do to make it better? You know, mm-hmm. we need to do something to make it better. It's well, not it's funny that you ask. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't expect this to come up, but I will share something with you that I'm really proud of and quite thankful for and grateful for in having this podcast. Um, I happen to have stumbled upon a chain of people that have no connection to each other that all talk about that exact subject in different ways. And it's amazing because really, um, and as a matter of fact, uh, I'm just going to admit now, and by the time that this airs, uh, this podcast will air probably in late November, um, and we're talking now in the end of September, uh, but when it finally does, I'll finally have it done, but I really need to write and maybe even talk about the lessons that I've learned from listening to my guests. And it's amazing because they all seek to answer those questions in different ways. And some of the common answers that they've had are as follows. Um, One is uh, you can uh, rest assured that somewhere deep inside, if you're having a conflict, you might want to look at your self-esteem. And uh, if there's a self-esteem problem that can cause problems in relationships and, you know, all sorts of conflict and stuff. But outside of that, you know, staying connected to spirit and avoiding distractions, uh, connected to God, something greater than yourself, doesn't matter what it is, 
Um, you know, if I was uh, just to reiterate some things that were said, you know, we all believe in the same God through other lenses, let's say, and that may or may not be true. But if if indeed there is one universal source that we're all actually going to without knowing it through our own languages that we've learned in terms of our faith and stuff, and that stands to reason that, you know, we've got some collective um, power that we can implement in society in different ways or whatever. But um, I guess uh, my point here is that people are being led in ways, I think, that keep them kind of separate. But it's so simple. Like, if you can maintain a spiritual perspective in life, if you can honestly love yourself and love other people, and if you can look at others, like you said, without judgment or condemnation and accept people who are different, that's love, man. Like, that's power. Yeah. And love is the light. The light beats the darkness every time. There's just no way out of it. You know, darkness can't overtake light. Light overtakes darkness. I mean, it only works one way. So, you know, it's 100%. really... Right? 100%. You know, one of the things you just said, though, is I think we mm -hmm. all need to not just love ourselves, but forgive ourselves. Because there's there's things in each of our lives that we wish we had done differently, um, and and sometimes that gets in the way. We don't want people to discover secrets about us that we might not have looked at, or or we might not be ready to reveal, and and it keeps us sort of protecting ourselves and not letting in another person, or even letting in the the universal energy, you know, because. You know, the whole idea of, oh, I could go to hell or whatever. I mean, I don't particularly believe in any of that, but, um, it's, uh, you know, just the idea that, you know, there, in order to love someone else, you have to be able to love yourself too. First. And in, in all of your, you know, yours, mine, you know, all of our imperfections, when we can accept ourselves and our, and our imperfections, then we can accept others and their imperfections because we know that we're not different. Yeah. And so, speaking to people out there who might be angry at others and not know why or feel a sense of, uh, you know, division between them and others around them. They have hate in their heart, you know, things like that. All of that is probably just confusion, right? Like, I mean, it isn't real. Um, a lot of that stuff we make up in our minds and it isn't even real. And that's the importance of investigating the entire story, right? Like discerning right. the truth like to understand what truth is. That's part of it. Or maybe the key to the whole thing, right? To have that knowledge. Yeah. And uh, I think a lot of times when people present truth to us, um, it could be our friends who may be intentionally lying or maybe unconsciously lying because they're just not comfortable with what they have to say. But it could, it's also the media. I mean, the media has their own agenda mm -hmm. about, you know, all the sensation has gotten so sensational. Every story is like, you know, oh, my God, it's going to be another catastrophe. And it's why? Why is it? Because their agenda is to sell, to sell their their rag or their subscriptions or whatever it is. And so they want to make their story so appealing or so compelling that we, we need to read it. You know, most of the time we don't read more than a couple of sentences anyway. But right. that agenda of needing to be profitable um is is what drives i think 90% of what's going on and and so when we look at something when we, when we hear something you know it's i find it useful to say who benefits from this 
who benefit, mm-hmm. and, and not just the one side, but the other side. When the other side says, I don't believe any of that, what do they benefit from? What's their agenda by saying they don't believe it? You know, mm-hmm. each side has an agenda. So on the one hand, you could say, well, you know, this, this, this is a story that came out from this, this, uh, organization, and I don't believe it because, you know, they're just saying it because this. And the, and the other side is saying, I don't believe it. So now why are they saying they don't believe it? If they did believe it, what would they have to change? You know, it's a two-sided thing. It's really hard to get truth. Um, and, you know, as we said before, you know, I, I, I think about 25% of what we hear is true. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and, and then 50% is a maybe. Another 25% is definitely not true. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so, that's for sure. You know, it's like, it's just, it's really difficult, you know, I'm not getting political, but just to say democracy is hinged on, you know, the requirement is to have an educated population mm-hmm. and, and a, um, and, an, and an interested population. And I don't know that we have either right now. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of weird. It definitely has changed a lot. Um, no question about it. Um, just kind of an off-the-wall question. Do you think college has value today, or is it better to pursue your knowledge outside of school? Um, I got a lot out of college. As I mean, a young I person. Was, as a young person I, yeah, today. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I, I, so I did a liberal arts degree, and it introduced me to so many things that I knew nothing about. And I, I think it really did broaden my awareness of different cultures, I ended up starting a, a PhD program in comparative religion, um, which I didn't stay. I, I, I ended up going to medical school instead. One of I, that's a whole other story. But um, but I I do think that it was very beneficial for me to understand how many differences there are in the world and how people who don't live like me are still regular people. And even though they don't look like me, they have the same feelings, they have the same needs, they have the same loves, they have the same fears, you know, and I think that that's very valuable, and I, I would hate to take that away, um, especially because it seems like that kind of thing is now coming out of the schools. I think it's so important that we teach our children that not everybody is going to look like them, but that doesn't mean they're different. It's just the outside. Yeah. You know, they may speak different language. They may, you know, wear different clothes. They may pursue a different lifestyle but they're still human beings and to be able to respect each other as human beings is really, you know, a priority. We can't really get very far if we don't do that. And it's really hard to respect different people if we don't understand anything about them or that, you know, if they're just the other. When it's the other, it's a blank face and it's easy to hate the blank face. Oh, so yeah, yes, yeah. I, think it, I think it is. I think it should be a little more geared towards um, also preparing kids to, um, to enter society in a way that will bring them, you know, a satisfying income and, you know, and all of that. But and but it also helps people to learn what they like. Mm-hmm. You know, like a lot of people, they don't know. You know, I know my father was a tailor. I don't know what I want to do. You know, I guess I'll be a tailor. You know, but right. by exposing them. So I think that college is very important. You know, the price of college is a whole other thing, okay? I think, <laughs> that, you know, if, if it didn't cost anything to go to college, then we wouldn't possibly even be having this conversation you know what I mean because it would be like yeah there's no what's the drawback but when when kids spend you know fifty thousand dollars or two hundred thousand dollars going to college and then come out and they're they're not really qualified to the society in a in a financially responsible way then that's a problem 
Yeah. But the the idea of being exposed to different literature and different cultures and and learning about different things in the world, I think that's super important. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. It helps to instill um, an appreciation for differences and diversity and all that stuff. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. That's awesome. Well, we're getting close to the end of our hour, and I'd like to make sure that we focus a little bit on uh, talking about your books, because that's something that you're actively involved in and passionate about. And, you know, I'd really like to have uh, folks be able to go out and read your material and learn from your interesting and unique perspective. I really appreciate where you're coming from, actually. Um, I really like the fact that you're focused on seeing things through a lens of inclusivity, and I don't mean that in the current definition of the word. (laughs) I mean it in the sense of, you know, not being exclusive. You know, this is about everybody, and, you know, you see the value in different people coming together, and I agree that that's something that's getting lost, and I feel it's really important to bring it back around. So tell us a little bit about each of your books and how uh, we can find you and where they can look to get a hold of you. And for coaching, of course, I want to make sure if someone feels connected and would like to reach out to you for coaching, I'd love for that to happen as well. Well, thanks, Todd. Um, And thanks for such kind words, too. Oh, my Um, pleasure. So my my website is DebraBlaine.com, so D-E-B-R-A-B-L-A-I-N-E. Dot com. Um, and you'll find my books there. I have a mission statement that um, kind of encapsulates this in a shorter form. Um, so my first book I wrote, um, it's called Code Blue, The Other End of the Stethoscope. And it was, you know, my discontent with the American healthcare system as a business for profit and not a service for health. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so, but I, you know, I wrote it as a fiction. So you get a sense of you travel with this doctor through various encounters and you can see what we are, what our challenges are as doctors. Mm. But, um, I embedded it in a story about uh, the Russian oligarchs hacking into our electronic medical records. They steal the information. They extort millions of dollars from patients and murder them. So, um, wow. it's so it's a thriller. It's a, it's a medical thriller. But along the way, you sort of get a sense of what happened to American medicine. And why it's so difficult for you to, you know, get appointments with your doctor or, you know, get the uh, the testing that you need or the medications that you need or mm-hmm. anything like that. So, and what are and 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 the what's become the very demanding entitled attitude of many of our patients. So, um, mm-hmm. so that's the first one. The second one was written exactly in response to extremism in this country, and it's called Undue Influences, mm-hmm. and it's um, it's about a, a family. Um, who find themselves in the middle of, or they discover that there's this nefarious plot to literally brainwash the American population. And it's happening from both sides of the political sphere. And people don't know that they're being manipulated and, and, and sort of just, um, controlled, um, mm-hmm. by different sides of, of the government. And there's a, a kid that opens up with this kid, Joshua, who, um, stumbles into his uncle's Sixth Avenue office and he has no memory of where he's been for the last few days. He barely knows his name. He's covered in blood. Mm-hmm. And they take him to the hospital and find that none of the blood is his. Oh. And so that just sort of thrusts the, the uncle um, into this, you know, exploration into what happened to his nephew. He discovers this whole plot for certain reasons that you discover in the book. He's immune to this 
manipulation because of something that happened to him when he was three, um, and he was actually chosen um, by some mysterious force of the universe to be in this position. And it's, you know, he becomes a target for both sides of the the political milieu because they each, they find him, either he's an asset if he'll help them or he's, you know, he's a liability and they have to knock him off. Mm. So, um, so that's, that was my second. And that one is, that was the one that, that people told me I did not take sides on and they were, you know, amazed. <laughs> that I that's was cool. To do that. I was trying to really present both sides of the issue to the best of my ability mm-hmm. and let people come to their own conclusions. But, um, but it also, um, does thrust us into, you know, where the culture is going. And sure. so that led to my third book, which just came out less than a month ago. And awesome. it's called Beyond the Pillars of Salt. And that's a dystopian fiction. And that is one possible progression of where our society is going if we don't stop it. And um, we end up with a dictatorship on this planet. There with the, you know, very cruel people who don't care about you know, if, if you're not if you're not with us, you're against us, and um, the planet is also breaking up because of the climate changes. And there's it, many parts are already uninhabitable, and it is going to become uninhabitable soon by humans and most mammals, and I guess the birds and, and the um, you know even the fish because they you know the the waters get too too warm, and the, the you know they, what they feed on is too far down in the ocean. So. Um, Anyway, so the, the group of people, some of the people from the fir- from the second book, Undue Influences, are in the third book, and they have they formed this little band of refugees, and it's their story of desperation and how are they going to escape, and how are and eventually they're going to have to find a way to go off planet, and how will that how will that work, and how can they yeah, I was going to say escape to where <laughs> yeah, so they have to escape, and um, I put a lot of research I put a lot of research into all my books and. You know, I really enjoy, so it's, it's kind of, a, you know, hedges on the science fiction. Um, it's a lot of science fiction, and I, I don't like to just present magic, although I believe that magic is a really, and mystery and, and uh, mysticism is a really important part of our, of our reality, but I don't like to, to make a, a reader take that leap. I want them to be able to look at things logically and say, yeah, I see how this could happen. So um, it's really interesting. We actually have the understanding of how to establish a warp speed. Um, speed of light. We just don't have the um, the power um, requirements. We can't we can't match that yet. So then, it, it, so I, I did a lot of research in it, and and so we um, this group of people has to they have to leave, and do they make it, and where are they going, and and what are they going to do when they get there, and how are they going to be better people? Because there's a there's a figure that is present in the book almost from the beginning that is sort of just you know warning them, and you can draw your own conclusions about what who this person represents, because you're not really sure at any time whether it's male or female. Um, it's just, this, you know, sort of a, an ephemeral, shadowy figure. And and the message is, you know, if, if you guys don't figure this out, you will be extinct. You're, you're the last you're the last chance. Mm-hmm. And um, and so that's um, – and it's going to continue on this other planet. And, um, and those are going to be the kinds of questions that I want to explore. And I don't have the answers to them. If I did, I wouldn't need to explore them. Um, you know, just like, what, what does it mean to be a better human being? What does it mean to be worthy? And how do we sustain that? You know, I, I think that most people can be really noble spirits for a day, maybe a week. You know, how do we do that over a lifetime? What do we have to do inside? How do we have to evolve 
And how do we have to change our paradigm of how we see the world and how we see ourselves in connection to the world to make that happen? And so I have no idea. You know, it's not a, it's not intended to be anything preachy because I have nothing to preach, but to just sort of explore it through the characters and see where is it going to lead us? You know, so there's some interesting characters that, that make it to this other planet and, um, so anyway, I hope that, you know, I hope that people will be interested in it. All my books are on, if you just go to Amazon.com and punch my name in Deborah Blaine, you will see my books. Perfect. And, but if you go to my website, DebraBlaine.com, you will see my books. You will also see my coaching practice. You will also see something called The Very Indie Press, which I established because um, I, I published this last book myself. And I learned how to do all the steps that are involved in self-publishing. And cool. you know, so, so now what I'm offering as part of my coaching package is if you well first of all I, I coach I, I have some some writers who are clients who just want to write and there's so much fun um, and also um, at the end of the time or, or even if they've already written and they come to me I can publish I can help them publish their book I don't I'm not going to have anything to do with their book I don't take any fees for you know from them as it's, as it's out there I don't take any royalties just to kind of coach them through these are the steps that you have to take, Todd, you want to write your book, um, I will tell you what you need to do. You should get an editor, you should get a cover designer, yada, yada, you need an ISBN. You know, this is where you find all of these things. Um, once you have a completely edited manuscript, I can throw it into my software and I can format it for you. And then I'm going to give you the files and you can upload it. You're going to establish your own accounts with a different, you know, with Amazon, with Ingram, with Apple, and so everything gets deposited directly into your account when there's a sale. And I, you know, I step back out of it. I'll keep your files for a while, a few months in case you need me to, you know, do anything with them. And then, you know, they're gone. I'll, I'll send you an email and say, are you sure you have a, you have these files? Because I'm going to delete it because it takes up a lot of space. So, um, so I'm just, I'm just doing it as a coach. I'm not doing it as a publisher. Um, but then you have the rights to everything. You own everything, and I can help you do it. You know, because it's um, it's a little overwhelming to think about. Oh, I'd like to publish this book, but you know what? I don't want to give away all my royalties. But oh my God, how am I going to do that all by myself? And yeah. you know, it's just it's, it's it's daunting. So I can take that away. You know, in three or four sessions, you can have your book published, and and then you know, I'm out of the picture financially. Anyway, if you have a question, call me. Right on. Hey, that sounds great. So there's a lot more that meets the eye. I didn't realize that. Uh, but no medical questions. If they have an itch or a bump somewhere, just leave that off the table, right? <laughs> yeah, just kidding. don't. People should, should not smoke. In this day and age, don't smoke. <laughs> uh, I know. I'm, I'm teasing. Yeah, and I, I told you that I'm I'm quitting. Um, but, you know, it's neat that you've been able to find your path to offer something in a very unique way. I think especially in these times, you know, having something digestible that addresses some of these issues that we're facing is really great. And uh, I like that you're so neutral in your approach to it. It really is, I agree, uh, something that people need to really step back and think about, you know, and it's important to realize that people who are different are really not that different. And I mean, we all bleed the same and uh, we have to eat and we have medical issues and health issues. We have loss. We have, uh, you know, success and failure and all sorts of things. And empathy is the key, in my opinion, from hearing you speak. You know, we really need to develop our empathy and that self-love. You know, those two things are so important. Um, you know, it really makes a big difference. 
Well, thank you. I just, you know, as you were saying that, I was, I was thinking, you know, I'm really very passionate about being neutral. And it sounds like an oxymoron. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's really cool, actually. Um, honestly, it stands out uh, from a lot of people. You get a lot of one-sided things, those extreme perspectives, if you will. And I think a lot of those people don't even realize, you know, it's like they might be, you know, they might be lying to themselves by not being fully educated about what they're complaining about. And it and might... Mm-hmm. I'm sorry to interrupt you, but like one of the oh, things is that when people feel like, you know, what do I do? You know, I don't have time to evaluate everything. And, you know, there's a third choice. You can reserve judgment. Mm-hmm. You can you can, you can can elect to not have an opinion about something if you haven't had a chance to really you know, delve into it and see what you think. And, and it, you know, that doesn't have to be a bad thing. You could say, I don't know. I mm-hmm. haven't really looked at it. That should be an acceptable response instead yes. of, well, you have to choose one or the other. No, don't make me choose. You, if you feel like you have to choose, that's your business. Get out of my head. I am not choosing until I know more. And I might never know more because there's so many things to think about that I just, I can just reserve judgment on that one. You know, we don't have to. We don't have to take a side. Absolutely. Words to live by. That's a perfect place to wrap it up. Deborah Blaine. And I really appreciate, Deborah, you being here today and getting a chance to share some of this interesting discussion. We managed to skirt the political uh, topic Uh pretty well. Good job. (laughs) Yeah. Well, it's not political in that way. It just sort of finds its way into that, you know, but it's really much more Yeah, and maybe it's good. Uh, We talked about this briefly before the call. Um, You know, maybe it's good to re-illustrate the word political as being something other than dealing with parties and the people that we see on TV. You know, the active uh, political process is, like you said, inherent in schools and relationships and all sorts of things. So, you know, it's not such a dirty word. It's just I think what we're being fed, you know, and, and it, it seems pretty icky, but but politics is not necessarily a bad thing. It's just part of life, right? Like, I mean, that's just how it is. Right. It's only the last few years that it's become so inherently disgusting. Yeah. <laughs> I couldn't, couldn't agree more. I couldn't agree more. So thank you for that. And, Deborah, I hope we get to speak again. I'd love to have another conversation and hear about more new books. I'm sure you'll continue to write as you move ahead. Do you have plans for more books in the future? Yeah, I'm um, I'm starting to think about the fourth book, which is going to be the, the first book on this uh, this new planet. And um, I am also going to convert back my first two books, which I published with a hybrid, and I'm going to convert them and republish them so that I have all the visibility and, you know, and all of that. Um, I'm just finding it a little challenging because Converting a PDF into a Word document that I can use in my software, uh, it doesn't work. So I have to go back to my latest version of the Word document, which is not the latest version of the book, and I have to go through every whatever. But, um, yeah, that's just, it's just tedious, you know. Um, but, yes, I'm going to be starting the, the fourth book, and there's going to be, you know, there's, there's going to be a couple of wolves, there's a cat, there's going to be a two different species, at least on this planet. I mean, it's, when you're on a new planet and you're building a world, you know, you can create all kinds of scenarios because we're only seeing a piece of the planet at a time, so we don't really haven't really explored it. That's great. That sounds like an adventure. It's really a lot of fun. 
I don't know if we'll see it in our lifetime, but I could see people living on another planet someday. And it's kind of sad because, you know, all we really had to do is take care of this one. <laughs> I know, right? Right? How silly. Well, this book takes place in 2032. So it's, you know, like, hey, guys, oh, you know, this could yeah. happen. You, you, might be, you might be writing the new 1984 and not even know it. Yeah. <laughs> You know, we'll call it 2032. <laughs> uh, I hope not, but, you know, it, I guess, it, you know what, it sort of, it calms, it, it soothes me to think of, like, when I think about where this world's going, and then I think about, you know, ways to sort of modify that. It's like, I don't know if you know, you can control your dreams. When yeah. someone first told me to control my dreams, it was, you know, it was like, it was world changing. But, you know, if you, if you become aware in your dream that you're dreaming, you can alter it. And sometimes I'll keep myself asleep until I fix it and so it's satisfying instead of upsetting. And I, I think I kind of do that a little bit with the writing. Like, if the dream, if the nightmare is going, you know, in this direction, well, I can change it a little bit. I can make it palatable, maybe even pleasant, maybe even enticing, you know. So uh, I think that's part of what I'm doing for myself to keep myself from looking around and saying, oh, my God, we're doomed. <laughs> yeah, that's funny how that works. You know, um, it's amazing how we can find ourselves changing our thought patterns and stuff just by investing ourselves in something that we love. And I'm really happy to hear that you found that. It sounds like it's going to serve people well that uh, are open to that and like reading. And I really hope people will um, explore your, your reading um, have you thought about doing a book on tape? Last question. If you mean an audio book? Yeah, audio book. That's what I mean. People Sorry. People have asked me about that. And I haven't, I don't know, like that's the last, you know, when I write something, um, I, I rely on your imagination. Like I know what I see, but whatever you imagine is, is unique to you. And, and that's amazing. Um, when you see it in a movie, it's always different from the way that you imagined it in the book. But if I'm, if someone else is reading my book, then they are presenting a picture of the book that I didn't intend and you wouldn't necessarily have created on your own. And so, um, I've resisted it. It's That's just, cool. Um, a proprietary thing, but people have asked me and eventually I will probably do that. Yeah, it's a good idea. And the only reason I think of it is I could see really enjoying sitting and listening to your story and, you know, like old time radio, you know, and, that's how it used to be, man. People would gather around the radio instead, you know, before there was TVs and they just listened to stories. And, you know, I, it's the first thing I thought of when I was, um, kind of going through your titles and listening to you talk about the material is like, man, this, I'd like to hear this story. Like, but I'm lazy. So, yeah. you know, that's probably just my fault. But, uh, yeah, I would encourage you to check that out because I think people would enjoy it. But that's, that's, my, that's just my opinion. So thank you so much, Deborah. And for those of you listening, remember Deborah Blaine can be reached at Deborah Blaine, D-E-B-R-A-B-L-A-I-N-E.com. And uh, you can explore more with her there. Check out her books and talk about coaching and the world as it changes around us and the power that we have to change it within us, actually, it sounds like. So I look forward to hearing more about that. And I just want to thank you again for sharing your knowledge. Thank you, and so. Yeah, your experience. It was really fun exploring with you. I appreciate that very much. It's been a great conversation, and thank you so much for inviting me. This was wonderful. Oh, my pleasure. I hope we get to do it again, and have a wonderful rest of the day. Thank you. You too. You bet. Talk again. Okay. Thank you for tuning in to the Toddcast Show. 
you found today's episode helpful and meaningful, don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss out on what's next. Remember that the Toddcast show is all about community and connection. So follow the podcast on your preferred social platform to keep updated on everything I've got in store. Also check out ToddCastShow.com to find out more and stay connected with me, Todd Mira. Be sure to tell your friends and family about the Toddcast Show so the podcast family can continue to grow and share on an international level. See you over on the next episode. Hi, I'm Todd Mira, host of the Toddcast Show, and I want to share something personal with you today. Throughout my own life, I've struggled with issues I didn't even realize I had. Things like depression, past trauma, PTSD, and feeling disconnected from the people I loved the most. It took me hitting rock bottom to realize I couldn't fix myself alone. I needed help to unravel the tangled knots within my life, find myself again, and become stronger in the areas I was weakest. It wasn't an overnight transformation, but with time, I learned to change my thinking, my attitudes, and my entire paradigm for the better. I learned that it's good to ask for help, and that's why I want to tell you about our sponsor, BetterHelp. Thank you to BetterHelp for sponsoring this episode of the Toddcast Show. BetterHelp is the world's largest therapy service, and the best part, it's 100% online. You can participate from anywhere, anytime that works for you. It's simple to get started. Simply answer a few questions about your specific needs and personal preferences in therapy, and BetterHelp will match you with the perfect therapist from their network. It's really that easy. You can message your therapist anytime you need support and schedule a live session when it's convenient for you. BetterHelp is committed to ensuring that you find the perfect match to guide you along your journey to well-being. As someone who went through therapy and came out way ahead of where I started, I want to invite you to take this step to a healthier, happier you today. My life was transformed through therapy, and yours can be too. With BetterHelp, you get the same professionalism and quality you'd expect from in-office therapy, but with a therapist who is hand-picked for you, all at a shockingly affordable price. And as a special offer for our listeners, you'll get 10% off your first month by using the special link, betterhelp.com forward slash Toddcast. That's betterhelp.com forward slash Toddcast. You don't have to face life's challenges alone. BetterHelp is here to support you through the big and small issues of your life in a way that can really make a huge difference, both short and long term. Take the first step towards a healthier, happier you. Visit BetterHelp.com forward slash Toddcast to get started today.